Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Today we are interviewing Cricket S. Myers. She is a sound designer who has worked all over the place. I worked with her on Allegiance in LA uh, the beginning of this year, and she is currently out at Opera Omaha with Cindy working on a new, I guess you call it a devised opera. Yeah. (laughs) Called The Wreck. Uh, But Cricket has quite a resume. She has uh, 20 Ovation Award nominees, although apparently uh, just gets nominated. Uh, Doesn't ever go up on stage and win, but excited to get nominated. (laughs) (laughs) As well as a uh, Drama Desk Award and a Tony nomination. And you have been covered in Sound Design of the Year and a number of different magazines and a person to watch when you were in college and like it's very impressive (laughs) (laughs) i stay very very busy (laughs) (laughs) yeah obviously so uh welcome to the podcast thanks i'm excited to be here so one of the first things we usually ask is, how did you get into theater? Did you know you wanted to do sound design, or did you start in a different field and jump over to sound design? Um, well, I, I actually went to college as a physics major. Uh, so wow. I, I started physics. Uh, I realized the end of my second year of college that although I really liked physics, I loved theater, and I kind of needed to do what I loved. Uh, so I switched my major. And uh, my uh, parents were not thrilled. Uh, However, (laughs) (laughs) they've come around because now they get to go to lots of uh, cool shows and fancy opening night parties and a Tony Award. So um, they (laughs) (laughs) kind of a big deal. (laughs) So so now they think maybe this theater thing is a lot of fun. But um, I started out in stage management. Uh, I did a little bit of master electrician work. uh, And then I got out in the real world and went yeah, no, I really don't want to be a stage manager. So I... Um, <laughs> I feel like most people do not want to be a stage manager. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I went back to grad school, and that's when I found sound design. Uh, I met John Gottlieb at CalArts, uh, who really inspired me um, to to become a sound designer. So I, I kind of changed my application and applied for sound design. I was originally applying for lighting design because I'd been a master electrician, so I knew what a light was. Um, <laughs> I know how to focus it. Yeah. I know how to focus it. <laughs> Which is a lot different than design, come to find out. But um, so yeah, so uh, John Gottlieb really kind of inspired me to um, to try out sound design, and uh, you know, he looked at me in the interview and said, "You're a sound designer, and you just don't know it yet." And uh, he was very, very right. So. <laughs> that is excellent. Yeah. So do you still dabble in anything else, or are you just too busy doing? sound design work now I'm too busy doing sound design work uh, I um, but but I also you know when I'm working on a little 99 seat show when there's nothing going on like if the lighting designer needs someone to hop up and help them I, I can be useful um, I uh, like to have my arts and crafts moment where 
you know, we're doing something fun, like props is doing something fun. And I want to help just because you want to I like fun. helping. <laughs> actually, <laughs> so, actually, we uh, talked to Glynn um, last week. And he was like, yep, Cricket sat in the house during tech and sewed wishes onto ropes for me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, I made that I did, you know, I made wishes. I, um, I did a show at Atwater Village that um, we want they wanted a, a high end expensive stereo system on the set. Um, but obviously they couldn't afford to go out and get a high end expensive stereo system. So they brought me this really kind of cruddy speaker from the seventies that they found in a thrift store somewhere. And I basically like took it apart and repainted it and made it look like a thousand dollar speaker. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it was just one of those, like, I'm going to come in early to tech today and paint a speaker. Um, yeah, and of course, once I was done painting it, it didn't function anymore. But it looked great on the set. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I call them my arts and crafts moments. <laughs> They're very nice. I don't know many sound designers who do that. Usually, it's just cutting apart a straw or taping something to someone's head so that the microphone sits right. I'm sure you yeah, have plenty of those. So what what um what led you to? I guess not led you to. Uh, how did you? Grad school, you start sound design, and now, not many years later, you have Tony nominations and Ovation nominations and, and all that. Like, how you just go from job to job and that's just where it's led? Or are you trying to get to Broadway and trying to get Tony nominations? Uh, no, I, I don't think Broadway was ever, was a place I ever expected to get. Um, so it was uh, exciting that I did it, but I also don't have like a burning desire. Like I have to get back. Um, How did you I, get there in the first place? Um, I got there in the first place because um, Bengal Tiger was being done at the Kirk Douglas. I had worked, um, I mean, kind of how I got where I got is I came out of grad school and started assisting a, a couple of different people, um, mostly John Gottlieb, Drew Dalzell, um, John Gottlieb got me hired as the resident assistant at the Tabor. So I got to meet a lot of the big Broadway designers, the big established designers in the country would come through the Tabor and I'd get to assist them while they were there and learn from them. So that was a really great way to spend my first like year and a half out of grad school because I got to interface with all of these incredible designers and learn from them and work with them and most of them, if not all of them, were incredibly supportive of me. So I could email them months later and be like, I'm working on this project and I'm not sure how to handle this. Or I have a question about a contract and they would all happily write back with advice. So I was really lucky to kind of have a really supportive network of people around me. Um, because I was assisting at the taper, they got so to know like me quite full, well. full-time job at the taper and you just did all their shows? Yeah, I, it wow. was basically I'd spend like – two to three weeks working on a show and then I'd have six weeks off and then two to three weeks working on a show and six weeks off. So I was only paid for the weeks that we were in tech that I was working. But for that first year out of grad school, I knew I had something I could count on every other month. Mm -hmm. So yeah. although I was freelancing in between, I knew every other month I had a good solid paycheck. <laughs> and so important. Yeah. And they gave me health insurance. So that first wow. year they paid my health insurance, even though I was only working on and off. And that was invaluable for me. <laughs> and just one like huge pressure to take off my shoulder that first year and a half, two years. Um, but because they got to know me pretty well, 
the tapers shut down for renovations, so my job went away for a year. Uh, but they started hiring me at the Kirk Douglas to design a lot. Uh, and then once the taper opened back up again, the uh, the director of production uh, the, came to me and she's like, hey, you know, are you interested in coming back as our resident assistant? And I was like, I don't know. I haven't assisted in an entire year and I kind of don't miss it. Like, <laughs> I like but, doing my but, own like, I hate to turn down the paycheck. And I was like, well, she's like, there's only two shows this season. She's like, why don't I send you the dates for the two shows? And if you're available, do them. If you're not, it's totally fine. And I was like, that's great. And we walked into the Kirk Douglas rehearsal hall, and one of the producers walked up to me and said, hey, Cricket, do you want to design the second show at the taper this year? And I smiled and looked back at her, and I was like, that was the offer I was hoping for. <laughs> wow. she laughed and was like, that's a better offer. You should take his offer. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, because I, so I, I had several years where I was designing really regularly for them. So when they announced the 2009 season at the Kirk Douglas, there was a show that they announced that was being directed by Moises Kaufman called Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. And I read the description of it and I read a little bit about the playwright and I was like, I want that show. And so for probably the first time in my life, I actually emailed them and said, I want this show. I don't know what your plans are, but like, I want this show. And they wrote back and was like, well, we don't, you know, we don't know what Moises wants. Like, we'll get back to you. And I was like, all right. Well, sure enough, they came back to me uh, about a month and a half later. And they're like, we'd love you to interview with Moises. So I was like, great. Um, Have you ever worked with Moises no, before? Okay. No, so I you... just knew him. I knew of him and right. his work. And right. Um, so he and I got along beautifully. So I did the show at the Kirk Douglas. Um, it was a hit. So they decided to move it over to the taper the following season. Um, so we got to pick it up and move it to the taper. Once it was at the taper, New York producers came and saw it and wanted it and wanted it to move to Broadway. Um, interestingly enough, when they made the decision to transfer, they hired all of the other designers immediately because it was the only designer on the show that was not a big New York Broadway designer. Um, so they happily hired the other three and then they came back to me and said, well, we want you to just sell us your design and let someone else put it up. Um, and Moises really stood up for me and said, no, this is her work and, uh, she deserves to come with it. Um, and it was because of my relationship with Moises, uh, that I actually got to go to New York with the other ones. And now I'm a Broadway designer. <laughs> that is so cool that he would stand up for you because, yeah, why not? Why does everybody else get to go but not the sound designer? That's not fair. Well, and what he said was that, like, you know, in a lot of shows, and, like, the, the first show I ever designed that transferred to Broadway did not take me with it. However, I, I had, like, I had a doorbell. I had some birds chirping. Um, the radio came on and played some jazz during one scene. Everything I did was fairly easy to replicate. <laughs> like there was nothing about it that that was uniquely me or or extremely complicated. And so for them, it was it was just cheaper to hire someone who was based in New York rather than fly me out to put in some doorbells. You know, uh, yeah. Bengal Tiger was not that. Bengal Tiger was constant sound, um, and I had these tones that shifted and changed based on the emotion of the characters. And so it's like the sound was 
was a, a physical representation of the emotions that they were feeling. Uh, and so that's not something that can just be dropped into place. And it was something that we, like Moises and I spent a year and a half together working on. So he wasn't willing to just scrap it and start over. Um, but he, he really felt that like I specifically brought something to the show. But you are another actor yeah. in the show pretty much. Yeah. You were an integral part. Of it. Um, and it was, I mean, it was an incredible experience to be there, but I also like, I, I love what I do and have no burning desire to, you know, like I must have that next Broadway show. Um, the paychecks are nice. I wouldn't mind. But <laughs> I wouldn't turn it down if it was offered. But it's not, um, not, it's not something I strive for every day or, or focus on or, you know. Cool. Have you yeah. seen um, other people do Bengal Tiger? Um, I know of other people who have done them, but, uh, I, I have not seen another production of it yet. No, I, um, I had a, a student reach out to me because his school was doing a production and he's like, well, I want to talk to you about what your design was and how it worked. And I wrote back and was like, I think you need to do your design. And then afterwards, let's you and I talk about how we handled it, but I'm not going to tell you how to do it. <laughs> um, it's more yeah. interesting to see what you do with it. And then we can talk about our ideas and how we got there, but I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> um, and he did come back to me after the show opened and was like, this is what we did. And this is how we talked about it. And okay. um, yeah, it was a very different approach than I had taken, but I think one that was equally valid. So and the that's really cool. He came back afterwards and wasn't yeah. just and like, was like, I do want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. You know? So that's yeah. awesome. I know the the Long Beach Playhouse did it. I didn't go see it, but I remember thinking, oh, that's a cool name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, that's it's an incredible script. It's honest to God, one of the most beautiful scripts I've ever read. Um, just the way it's put together and the language and the the way the characters interact and move, and it's it's really a stunningly beautiful script. So. Very so cool. you you do dramas, you do musicals because you did Allegiance. You're working mm -hmm. on an opera with me. Do you have a preference or is it just like based <laughs> on the piece? It's based on the piece and it, it's based on the the moment in my life. I um I will do a string of musicals back to back. And by the end of them, I was like, oh, my God, I never want to do a musical again. Would you please just give me a play? And then I'll do like five or six plays in a row and be like, oh, my God, could I just have a musical now, please? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really equally love them both. Um, and, and so it's just... Uh, uh, everything in moderation. <laughs> it's good to bounce back and forth. I think they exercise different parts of the brain. I attack scripts differently based on whether it's a musical or a play. And so it's fun to 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 switch back and forth and to have that variety. Well, I know you've so. been talking a lot. The wreck is that you, you react to like sounds, uh -huh. which is what I react to, which is why I do musicals and operas. Yeah. So when you do a straight play that doesn't like kind of have that built into it. Is that what you mean by you go at it differently? Cause then you yeah, have to because then the, I'm building it. The, right. Yeah. The words so, and create your own sounds. Exactly. Yeah. So I, like I talk about when I'm a play that I, that I become another character on the stage that I, my sound interacts with the cast and it works best when the cast plays with it and responds to it and interacts with it. Um, whereas a musical, <laughs> it's a little more, technically based like I have to get the orchestra balanced and I have to get the vocals balanced with the orchestra um and and I come at it from a more technical way but I still use the music and the voice to sculpt the story in that you know there are places where the music swells or dips and there are songs mm -hmm. that are quieter and songs that are louder um and so um 
but but there it's less me building it myself and more me working with the engineer to create those moments. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have an engineer that I work with a lot that like he and I speak the same language. We look at things the same way. And so he, at this point we've done enough shows together. He knows where I want things to swell without me having to say it. So. And this is the guy you brought in for allegiance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you come at, uh, the wreck? Because, you are another character on that stage. Mm-hmm. Like you, we have more sound cues and light cues that we've been playing with from like day one of rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So did you come at it more as a script or it's tricky because we didn't really we have, didn't have a script. Yeah, I was like, this, uh, Cindy, you've been telling me there isn't really a script that you're going off of. There still isn't. Um, We're no, still working on that. No, we open so, tomorrow. So the rack was, is really interesting because we are writing the script as we go. So I had a story to respond to, but no text yet. Right. Um, I mean, and we some knew, music. Yeah, we, yeah, I knew a couple of the arias, and I knew that there would be a lot of the Anne Sexton poetry. So, like, I went back and read her poems and, you know, kind of refreshed you know, because I've read them all years ago, but going back and kind of looking at them again to remind myself of the imagery and stuff. And I knew that because we were talking about kind of this mermaid story and this leaving home, that there would be a lot of um, ship uh, and water references. So really to to prep for the first day of rehearsal, I gathered a lot of sound effects of water and ship and movement and travel, um, things that kind of evoked those emotions. but other than that, I really didn't walk in with much. Um, uh, Annie had found a lot of recordings of Anne Sexton uh, that she had played for me and sent to me. Um, and then we did a lot of recordings here um, of different like bits of story we wanted to tell. Um, but it was definitely it, like... I had I had more than I would have on the first day of rehearsal, but a lot less than I would have normally on a first day of tech. And yet here, our first day of rehearsal was also kind of our first day of tech. So <laughs> it was definitely a unique and interesting experience and, and moments of like real excitement and moments of like, I am so lost. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just throwing <laughs> things at this and hoping something sticks. So <laughs> it was seriously a day-to-day thing. I yeah. would come home some nights and be like, oh my God, this was awesome. We got so much done. I can't believe we accomplished so much. And then the very next day, I would just come like, home and I, like collapse in tears. I was like, I don't know like, what's I, going on. Yeah, <laughs> the exact same way. Like, I, I'd be like, today was so successful. We have so many cool things and this moment really worked. And then the next day I'd be like, where did it all go? <laughs> uh, but like last night the run through was kind of amazing because yeah, I, like was- I sat there and was like holy crap we have a show like I we have a show and I kind of knew it was in there but like oh We've my god there it, it is yeah. yeah so considering you open uh tomorrow from the day of the recording um that's excellent that's good news yes. congratulations <laughs> <laughs> thanks it was it was a very exciting moment for all of us I think yeah <laughs> so um how did you get to Omaha? I mean, you're based in LA and you've been to New York, but uh, the the wreck is in Omaha. So did you know people at Omaha Opera? Did you know Annie going into it? I didn't. Annie, Annie reached out to me. Um, she has worked with other sound designers that I know. Um, and she's based in LA? She's based in LA. Uh, and so she kind of knew of my work. 
Uh, and she reached out to me and was like, hey, I'm doing this crazy thing. And it's all about women. So I'd really like to be to have women involved because we're, we're talking about the, the female experience and what it is to be a woman and to be a woman in a home and to leave a home. Um, and so she wanted to be she wanted to have more women involved. And some of the designers she's worked with recommended me. Um, so we had, yeah, we had a really long meeting in LA where we talked about ideas and we talked about process and we talked about, and how long ago was that in like, Oh God, January longer than that. Oh yeah. It was probably eight months ago. Um, and then the opera reached out to me a couple months later and was like, okay, yeah, she wants you. Um, so, but yeah, just through word of recommendations from other people. So. That's really cool. It, it's yeah. great that people, uh, like I do it all the time, and I know Cindy does it all the time, uh, recommend other people like, hey, I can't do this job, but these are the people I've worked with and I think are excellent. Or I'm doing this job and, hey, I need a master electrician. And I'm like, oh, I have a list of like three master electricians I'd love to work with. Let's bring in one of those. This is going to be Cricket's next job, she decided, because yeah. she spends half of her time recommending people. To yeah, I laughed that I was like, in my next life, I should be a manager. Um, I keep, I keep, I literally keep lists of, of people I love working with, because I get those phone calls and emails all the time. Most of the time, I'm getting emails for, for like engineers and board ops. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like I have a list of pretty much every sound engineer working in Los Angeles because, um, I hire them all the time. Uh, and then, uh, I get frequent emails about stage managers. Um, we've lost our stage manager. We need a stage manager. Um, uh, but, but sometimes designers too, you just like, it's, I like being a part of the community and I've been a part of the community a long time. So people know that I know, people in the community. And so it's like, if you're looking for someone, I probably know a couple. Um, And even if those people aren't available, they'll know more people. So I can at least get you on the right track. Yeah, I was hired uh, by Soundstage Live doing Little Mermaid. And one of the jobs was the red carpet out front. But the second job was find crew. And so I went through my list and called and emailed everybody. And then I when they said, hey, I can or can't, I said, great. Who do you know who can or can't do it? And it just kind of expanded from there. And now the list is bigger. But uh, yep. but yeah, it's very true. You Some people you run into all the time in different shows. Like, you know, I did Allegiance with you. You worked with Jeff Kaysen on a show once. Uh, and he's a good yep. friend of mine. And then I hear you're going to <laughs> Omaha to do a show with Cindy. It's a small world. <laughs> very small world. Yeah, I don't, we didn't even figure that out until like right before Allegiance opened, I think. Yeah. Right? It was yes. like the week before. Yeah. And then I was yeah. like, there can't be that many crickets that do sound design. <laughs> so yeah. I have to know this. I'm going to be working with this person. Well, yep. now that I'm in Omaha, the, the lighting designer is going to be the lighting designer that I work with in Philly yep. in two months. Yeah. So. And Anthony uh, is a PA on one of the other shows out there at Opera Omaha with you guys. Proving up, uh huh. I brought him on to The Little Mermaid with Soundstage Live, but we also worked with him on Long Beach Opera and Opera Santa Barbara. So it's it is a small world, and it is who you know, and then that's how you get to different jobs most of the time. Yep, yep. And a lot of my work, especially early in my career, came from other people recommending me. So it's like I'm happy to to pass that on to the next generation. 
So, yeah, yeah. and that's when I get calls for the small theaters that don't have a lot of money, you know, they'll email me and say, well, oh, we don't have a lot of money. I was like, you know, I'm not the right designer for you, but here's someone who's going to be really excited about the kind of money you're offering, <laughs> you know, and it's like, they're going to be eager for the work. They're going to be excited. Like you want them. So, so I have some questions about, <clears throat> we've only, I think, talked to one sound designer, Dan. Yeah, um, I think just Dan. Yeah, but we haven't really discussed, so you keep mentioning um, an en- engineers that you work with. So what is kind of the relationship? Do you have engineering experience or as a sound designer, do you mostly just like sound design and then you have someone else who does engineering? I'm much more familiar because in, in opera, we don't really work with a lot of sound designers. Sure. So I'm more used to like a lighting design experience where you have a lighting designer and you have a master electrician and they work together. Is it a similar situation? Yeah, it's, it's similar, um, but I, I also think, like the engineer has a lot of create creative input too, or at least I like to work that way. Yeah. Um, for me, like I'm coming up with the ideas and the engineer is executing them. But at the same time, the engineer has to have the same creative aesthetic as me, or they're not going to understand what I'm trying to get them to do. Um, but you know, it's, uh, for a musical, it's like, I'm deciding what microphones are going where and what speakers are going where and how they're hung and how they're focused and how they're tuned. But then the engineer is the one who's actually mixing the sound of the orchestra every night. So it's like, they, you know, they work, uh, with me and the music director about exactly what the orchestra should sound like and, and, you know, which instruments are doing what at certain moments and, and where we're swelling and where we're pulling back and where the orchestrations need support. And, um, you know, I did a show at the Amundsen that the music director wanted to have, you know, 30 violins and he only got eight, you know, and he came to me and said, I need your help making eight violins sound like a string section. And I was like, sure. So I mic them differently and we mix them differently just to give them more body and feel fuller, you know, but it took my engineer understanding what I was trying to achieve to, to, to get us happen. there, you know? <laughs> so, but you as a de- designer figure out all the equipment or. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I have engineer experience. I am capable of mixing a musical. I am not particularly good at mixing a musical. Um, I think, I think like design, you have to be really passionate about it to be successful. You have Mm -hmm. to really love your work to be successful at it. And though I can engineer, I don't love engineering so I can get through it, but it's not an enjoyable experience. And therefore I'm not very good at it because you're not passionate about it yeah Yeah. whereas like christian loves mixing like he loves mixing and so he he, was excellent at it like in in allegiance i was very impressed after the first day of rehearsal i was like i don't think he had anyone's mic off when they were talking on the first day of rehearsal it was great yeah Yeah. he's fantastic he's amazing um yeah and that's that's very valuable to me (laughs) Yeah, but it's funny because I, after Allegiance, well, after Allegiance, I went to Kansas City, but then I went up to Sacramento um, and it was a, it was a, it was a show called Peace on Your Wings. And um, funny enough, it's about uh, the atomic bomb in Hiroshima, about the young girl who, uh, Sudoku, um, she, she got leukemia because she was a child when the bomb went off mm-hmm. and um, decided that 
if she folded a thousand cranes, uh, her wish to not die would come true. Um, and so she, uh, so this was a whole play, a whole musical about her. Um, and there were all kids performing and it was just, it was just four performances. It was like Friday, two on Saturday, one on Sunday or something like that. And so it was like, there was no point in bringing an engineer to, <laughs> um, so I just mixed it. Uh, and after the first day I texted Christian and was like, I mean, I've always been impressed with you, but like, holy crap, this is hard. <laughs> you like, I've forgotten how hard this is because you make it look easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like the last time I mixed a show had probably been like 10 years ago. <laughs> so I was like, this is harder than I remember. Well, I was sad. So for, um, War Stories in Philadelphia, and we were just saying Dan is a guy who, we, he was a sound designer, but he was also the engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we interviewed him after opening, but before the close of the show. And he was like, Cindy, come sit next to me, because I was production managing, not stage managing. Yeah. He was like, come watch me do what I do, because yeah. I just learned all about what it was. And it was just amazing. He like never took his hands off the board, yes. and he had his board and computer, and like just the whole time, he was all over the place. And mm-hmm. I was like, you might be more busy than a stage manager is in this piece, because he... For him, it, even though it was an opera similar to the Rec, kind of, it was just constant soundscapes, but we also mic the performers and we mic the musicians, mm-hmm. but it was soundscape through the whole time. So it was just amazing to watch yeah. everything that he did. In a, in a musical, every single line is a cue for an engineer. Every single line, has his fingers are moving. Yeah. Um, and they get to know, they get to know the way a singer sings. So... If at the end of a phrase, the singer is hitting a low note that's kind of on the edge of their range, the engineer knows to push that word, push that note because it helps. Yeah, it helps the singer, you know, be supported. Um, And then other times they know that that's their high note and they come out blaringly loud. And so it's like you pull the mic back so that the audience doesn't flinch when they hit the high note. (laughs) So it's like it's literally every word, every line. He's adjusting the faders to to support the singer and make the singer sound, you know, at at their most powerful, Mm -hmm. you know, and help them when they need support and pull back when they don't. So um, and that's it's pretty incredible yeah. to watch um if you've never seen an engineer mix like sit behind him or you can you can google youtube videos on a uh, uh, like watching they call them like um hand shots or finger shots where you can sit and you hear the music but you're the screen the camera is actually pointing at their hands so you're watching what their hands are doing as the music's happening well, that's what I did during War Stories. Of course, yeah. I knew the show because I'd been working on it for three weeks. But I just watched him the whole time. And yeah. I was like, I don't know how you're doing all these buttons. Yep. But <laughs> Well, then speaking of buttons, so this is something that I've heard you talk about the last couple of days is, and we talked to electricians about this, the how quickly technology is changing, especially is. for sound. How do you stay on top of that? In school, um, you learn, you know, you learn to do a certain thing. And when you're in school, you keep like learning that one thing. But then once you're out of classes, what do you, what do you yeah, do? Yeah. Um, manufacturers want you to learn their new tools. Um, so they will frequently either at um, like the big conferences like USITT and mm-hmm. LDI and uh, NAM and um, NAB, like they'll have their gear there because they want you to get their hands on it. They'll also have seminars and and like come spend a day playing with our brand new line array you know and so you can come in and listen to it and walk the room and talk to them about how it works and how it responds 
Um, but you really have to take the initiative and do it yourself. Right. Um, and the same with new software. Like there's, you know, there's free demos of pretty much everything that you can download and play with. Um, and I'm the type of person who learns by poking buttons. Like I can't read a manual. It won't do me any good. I can't, you know, even watching someone do something on a YouTube video is, is of limited help to me. I have to get my hands on it. I have to push the buttons. Um, but that's how I've learned everything. That's how I am. I just want to push all the different yeah. buttons. What does this do? What yeah. does this do? Well, it's yeah. funny because like, that didn't work have back up. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the console we have on the rack is not a console. Like I, I have used it once before. I've had like four or five shows on it, but um, my engineers have always touched it. I've never had to have inter- any actual interaction with the console. Um, so save one production that I did in Orange County that they had that console and I had to actually go up and do my own programming. And I spent that entire time, like I'd poke the buttons for five or six minutes and then I'd text my engineer and be like, where is this button again? He's like, here. I was like, right, thank you. <laughs> How did I find it? Um, so when when Grayson offered, uh, Grayson's my engineer here, when he offered me that console, I was like, uh, it's been a while since I've touched it, but okay. And so the first day when we loaded in, he's like, do you want me to show you things? And I was like, no, I want you to stand next to me as I push the buttons. And I was like, so that if I push something really bad, you can catch me before I do it. But like, <laughs> just let me. And I was like, I have, I have to push it or I won't remember where they are, you know? And he's like, no problem. And stood next to me. I was like, there's a way to do this. He's like, there's a button called this. And I'd look for it and be like, there it is. You know? um, but, That's cool but, that he was kind of like your teacher, even though yeah. you're also teaching him other, you know, yeah. pro tools. Yeah. So. But I was like, you got to remind me how to use this one again. So I do that with lighting. I learned lighting, but as a TD, I don't ever really have to program a lighting board. So then when I'd get thrown on, you know, the lighting person can't show up and they're like, Stacy, go program some cues. I'm like, shit, I know (laughs) that you can do this. Now where, what soft key or hard key or screen do I have to go through? And I can do it. It just takes me a lot longer than someone who's like, yep, click, 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 done. I'm like, nope, I know it works. Just have to re-remember how to do it. Well, it's funny. When I was a master electrician, like the ETC consoles, uh, like the ETC Express and Expression and Obsession were the ones that are out. Those consoles are still being used today. So like, well, yeah. we have oh, an okay. ETC Expression, right. I think, on our show. Obsession. You can obsession. the okay. Obsession, I yeah. think. I don't know. No, not the, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I know it's the Expression one. really well, and this is this not is that slightly one, different. But it's yeah. close enough that I can do it. But yeah. even our lighting designer yesterday kept being like, nope, nope, just a minute. Yeah, well, I gotta um, find the button. Q, Q, oh, there it is. Okay, you know. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, I, like, I can still walk in, and if they're like, oh, hey, I'm trying to figure this out, I'm like, I can actually help with that. I know where that is, you know. Yeah. Or they're on a ladder. They're like, can someone turn this light for me? Just turn it on. I was like, I can't. I know this board. <laughs> actually, but during Allegiance, we had the lighting designer go back and unmic a couple of your mics at one point. And I remember yeah, the picture yeah, that Brandon posted and you were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is the lighting designer standing <laughs> at the soundboard? The picture popped up on Facebook of the lighting designer behind my sound console. <laughs> and uh, it was the master electrician took the picture. It was like, my designer is doing sound today. I was like, wait a minute. I leave you guys alone for one day. <laughs> yep. Everyone's she was like, shocked. all I did was push the three red light buttons to unmute something. I don't know what I did. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> Do you think it's, and it 
because I'd never, I mean, I know about USITT and stuff, but is an advantage to be in LA because there's so much that you can get your hands on? Like if you're a designer not in LA or New York or where these big companies are, do you think it's harder to get your hands on new software or? Um, I think a lot of the software is online, but definitely the hardware. I think it's probably harder. Um, a lot of rental companies will have the gear. And since they want you to rent the gear, they're happy to let you come play with it and learn it because then you're going to want to use oh, it. Um, so true. it's as much advantage to a rental company to encourage people to come get their hands on stuff. Um, I know a rental company in LA that I have worked with called Diablo Sound just brought a bought a brand new Allen and Heath console. Um, and the Allen and Heath consoles are not as common in LA. They're, they're, um, a British based company and they're very, very popular in Europe, but they just don't, they aren't used as much here. So he bought the console and immediately put out on all the social media, like, here it is. I've got this come over, play with it. Let's set it up. Let's use it. You know, cause he wants people to get their hands on it and love it and rent it. Cause then he's going to make so, money off of it. Yeah. yeah. I totally, yeah. never even thought about that, yeah. but so, um, but that's how I got my hands on a lot of them. Um, and it's like, I know enough about the consoles to know when I want to spec them. So then once I spec it and get it into my theater, I can play with it. Sometimes Christian lets me play with it. <laughs> Depends on the show. <laughs> Sometimes so. Christian's just like, no, <laughs> you can't touch my, <laughs> you can't touch my console. <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's. But yeah, it's, I think it's, it, I think I'm at an advantage because I'm in LA. Yeah. So. Did you grow up in LA? No, I grew up in Michigan. So I'm used to this Midwest weather, or I was, I was at one like, point in my life. I don't think that should be a present tense <laughs> word, but. I was at one point in my life. Uh, no, but I grew up in Michigan. I did my undergrad in Colorado, and then I headed for California. So. So you're almost opposite of me. You kept moving west. I kept moving east. Yep. And now you guys are on opposite sides of the country, except for yeah. right now where you're both together in the like, middle. I was like, no, right now we are pretty much smack dab in the middle of the country. Yes. Where today it is 70 degrees and tomorrow we're supposed to get two inches of snow. Yep. So, yeah. Gotta uh, love the Midwest, I guess. Yeah. I put on socks so my feet wouldn't get cold, but I'm wearing <laughs> a short sleeve shirt. I'm ready to come home. <laughs> It's when I walked out, I think it was two days ago, three days ago, it was, it was like 55 degrees where it had been snowing, you know, for a week. Yeah. And I came out, it was 55 degrees and I was like, wow, it's really nice. And unzipped my coat. And then I was like, 55 is not nice. (laughs) Go home. (laughs) That's still, I'd be in like long sleeves and a coat, socks, shoes, everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little crazy, but I'm going to, we'll enjoy today's weather. Unzip your coats. Go walk around outside for a couple minutes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, One of the things I was thinking uh, that we've talked about a number of times uh, with Cindy and other designers is Cindy and I are both female uh, and you're female. Do you find that you come across a lot of female sound designers or is it more of a male heavy industry or do you even notice much of a difference between uh, designers or engineers being male or female? It is absolutely a male dominated field. Uh, Female sound designers are only about 10%, 10 to 12% of designers. Uh, So we are absolutely the minority. Um, I, I know other female sound designers only through 
uh, sound designers like to travel in packs. Like we're all friends. We all know each other. Um, so we, you know, we all communicate. So there's, uh, a, you know, a couple of big, uh, female sound designers that work across the country and we all know each other and we all socialize more in each other's cities. And, um, but, uh, it is absolutely a, a male dominated field and, and for engineering as well too. Um, although I think that is shifting, faster than than design necessarily um uh liz is an incredibly talented engineer who's mixing um a band's visit on broadway right now you know so um uh they exist but um it's we we as as sound designers have had a lot of conversations about where the women go because if you are you go into a class in a grad school uh it's at least 50 percent female uh and five years later they're not there anymore they're not working anymore um so i've had a lot of conversations about like what happens in those first couple of years and why do some of us keep going and others of us walk away um and it's a hard thing for me to answer because i wasn't one of the ones who walked away so i don't i don't know why they walk away because i i didn't um, but I do know that I got a tremendous amount of support right out of grad school from mentors and all of my mentors were male because there, there aren't, you know, my generation is kind of the first generation that has female sound designers. Um, we're all, you know, the, most of us are all about the same age or younger. Um, and so you know, my mentors were all male, but I was never felt, I was never, I never felt like I, I shouldn't be doing it or I wasn't as good as them <clears throat> just yeah. because I was a woman. Uh, and I think I was just very lucky in, in the mentors I had that were incredibly supportive. Um, and, uh, I also think working on the West coast is the mentality there is a little different. There's a lot more female sound designers there. Um, there's a lot more women working in theater in general on the West coast. Um, so I think we're less of an oddity, <laughs> um, or we feel that way maybe. Um, but I definitely have a lot of conversations about how we support those women in those first couple of years out of school. How do you keep them going? How do you show them that they can have a family and can have a life and can do this job? Um, because the hours are exhausting and you do work hard and it freelancing is intimidating uh, to jump into, uh, you know, one of the or to things, raise a family on, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. And when I, um, you know, when I first came out of school, I, you know, I'd have two or three shows in a row and then I'd have nothing for two or three months. My mom would say, well, can't you send out resumes? Can't you call someone? And I was like, it doesn't work that way in this business. They have to call me. Like I sending cold resumes gets you nowhere, you know, as a stage manager, I've gotten some jobs as cold yeah. resumes, but maybe it's different it's as a sound designer, just not as a designer. Yeah. Like you, you have to have the relationship with the directors and until you have those um, or with the theaters and right. until you have those relationships, you know, you, you scramble to find them. And, um, I, you know, I took the attitude right out of school that I'll take any job. I'll take any job because I wanted to meet people. Mm -hmm. And I remember I took someone posted on some email group or whatever that they needed someone to come run their soundboard for their actor showcase. And they were paying like 50 bucks for two days. And I was like, sure, I'll come. 
like, I'm not doing anything for two days. I'll come. And my friends are like, you are worth so much more than $25 a day. I was like, yeah, but I'm not doing anything right now. And 50 bucks is better than sitting on my couch. And like, zero bucks. who knows what will happen? Well, at this actor showcase, <laughs> I met three different directors that five years later, I was still working for. And they would hire me onto their projects. And I designed, you know, I met Richard Israel that way. And I've oh, done- Oh, I worked with Richard a couple of times. Like, yeah, and I've done probably 10, 15 shows with him. So sure, I only got paid 50 bucks, but I got 10 designs over the next six years, which were invaluable to me to have credit on my resume and 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 the experience. And, you know, uh, one of those shows went on. I won the, like, one and only award I've won in Los Angeles. It was a Los Angeles Drama Critics Award. It was the first time I had ever been nominated for anything. It was back in 2005. I'd been out of school a year and a half. And I won, I won it. And it was a Richard Israel show that I met on this little thing I got paid 50 bucks to do. So, you know, it's like you just kind of and I think it's I think it's hard. I think a lot of people look at jobs like that and be like, I'm worth more. I'm not going to take them. Uh, but you just sometimes there's value in shows that's more than the paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and I definitely did plenty of shows that I got paid 100 bucks for. And I'm like, why am I here? I got nothing from this. And they were right off and whatever. I got nothing from that. But, but you, you don't never know, know that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I had someone tell me early in my career that to be successful, you have to have the three T's, um, talent, tenacity, and timing. Um, and it's like the talent is something you can, you can study and learn, although there's gotta be something there. Uh, like I can't walk out and write an opera right now, no matter how hard I work, I don't have that. talent. <laughs> um, but tenacity, you've got to work hard. Like you've got to work your butt off. But the other thing is timing. Sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time. And I can tell you exactly the the moment that I was in the right place in the right time that changed my career. Um, and that timing is something you can't prepare for and you can't, you know, you just plan on it. Yeah, you just yeah. have to be open to all the experiences and hope that you're there when it's meant to happen. So, yeah, that's how uh, we always do this. Like every, yeah, balance. <laughs> Um, working, it kind of started, Cindy went to grad school and then outside of grad school, she did, um, Nixon in China. And then she was in Cincinnati and I'm in Long Beach or I was in LA at the time and Long Beach Opera was going to do Nixon in China. So Cindy applied for it and got the job and slept on my couch for like two months. And we, you know, both paid for her to come out and got our cousin's car and all that. And that turned into eight years or so of working on Long Beach Opera and I started working on Long Beach Opera. Uh, through there, we met Darlene Miyakawa. And she's the one who uh, recommended me to do the TD for East West Players Allegiance. And so uh-huh. they called me to do that. And now I'm working with East West Players on building sets for other shows that they're doing. All because Cindy did Nixon in China years ago in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, I came right out of grad school and there, I knew there were, there were two big programs to run sound effects from, uh, SFX and, uh, LCS, uh, QLab didn't exist yet. Um, SFX I learned in grad school, LCS was big and super expensive and CalArts didn't have it yet, although they've got it now. Um, 
So I came out and I was like, you know, I kind of want to learn LCS. Like it's the big program out there. I should know it right. um, just in case I ever come across it. And I was assisting Drew Dalzell and he said, you know, South Coast Rep has LCS. Let me hook you up with the sound supervisor at, at South Coast Rep. You can go down and learn LCS from him. I was like, great. So I, you know, emailed BC Keller and said, I want to come down to South Coast. I want to learn LCS. He's like, great, the next show, you know, this is our quiet time and these are our two days of tech. Why don't you come down and sit next to me while I program during quiet time and you can, I'll teach you as I program. And he's like, and you can meet David Budrys, who's great. He's the head of Yale, you know, like you'll, he's a good person to meet. Anyway, I said, great. So I came down and sitting at the tech table, David Budrys and then me and then BC Keller. And so to someone who maybe didn't know I looked like I was Budry's assistant when in fact I was actually just there to learn programming from BC. Um, and I was sitting in that chair learning LCS and watching, you know, and chatting with Budry's. And um, he actually gave me a, a file maker template that I have now adapted to become my cue sheet because it was brilliant. And I loved it. Um, so, uh, but another designer walked in and saw me sitting next to Budry's and he went to production management and was like, what's going on? You hired an assistant for Budry's. Why can't I have an assistant? Like if he gets one, I should have one. So production management called BC Keller and said, who is Budry's assistant? And do you think we can hire her for this other guy for this next show? <laughs> You're like, I'm just trying to learn this well, program. And it's funny because BC was like, Butters didn't have a, oh, her name is Cricket. <laughs> so I got hired to assist Michael Roth on a show called Brooklyn Boy. Um, so we did it at South Coast Rap. It was programmed in LCS. The show transferred to Broadway. Broadway had SFX, not LCS. Michael Roth didn't know how to program either. I could program both. So Michael Roth convinced uh, the Broadway producers that even though every other designer was just getting a new New York assistant when they got to New York rather than bringing them out, I had to go with him because I was the only one who could translate the program from LCS into SFX. So I got my first Broadway credit less than 18 months out of school because was, I was sitting next to David Budrys at the right time. <laughs> I was in the right seat at the right time, literally. Um, from that, I called my mentor, John Gottlieb, and was like, holy crap, 18 months out of grad school, I'm assisting on Broadway. And Gottlieb said, oh, you should come assist me at the taper. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we started the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that that changed my life. I suddenly, the the big houses in town knew my name and knew who I was. Just because you were willing to like learn and put yourself yeah. out there and teach yourself. Yep, because I was sitting in the right chair at the right time because I wanted to learn a fancy new program. And you just that's not the kind of thing you can plan for. But I absolutely know that that was the moment that changed the direction of my career. That I I because. I was only, I was barely two years out of school and Center Theater Group knew my name. Mm -hmm. And I was their assistant, but they knew my name. Um, yeah. And, and Center and Theater Group. Work. Yeah. Huge in LA. Does, yep. does all the big shows. Yep. That so. is super cool. Yeah. <laughs> See, you never know. <laughs> then it turns into, you know, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, we're almost to the hour mark. We try to keep our interviews at an hour. So I don't know if 
I prepped you or Cindy prepped you or whatever on our final question. Uh-oh. I was not prepped. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we really should remind people of this or tell them. I guess not remind. We need to tell them to start with. Uh, since we're twins, we always ask people, do you have any good twin stories? Not necessary. It doesn't have to be theater related. It doesn't have to be work related. Do you know any twins? Worked with any twins? Grew up with twins? <laughs> Well, you, you know, worked with me and Cindy, uh, but you worked with us separately. You've never seen us together. Yeah. So Although I laughed because at the first production meeting, like I walked right up to Cindy and started talking to her and she's like, I'm Cindy, by the way. I was like, oh yeah. I mean, I knew that. <laughs> right I'm <away>. cricket. <laughs> um, I was like, the way you're talking to me, you must be cricket because you obviously know, who, I I know who you are. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> Um, no, I don't think, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I know many twins. Like, I honestly don't know that I can think of any other set of twins. I certainly didn't know any growing up. We didn't know any other twins growing up either. Like, there was just none. Yeah, it wasn't until until high school. When we met Adam and Travis. school, and then, yeah. But we never talked to him or anything. Adam and Travis were the only ones we ever talked to. And it was amazing because what everybody had been laughing at us about, we saw in Adam and Travis, uh, DeBoer, and we were like, oh, that's why people find us entertaining. Because you guys act like us, but we've never seen it because we are us. Uh, So it was very interesting. Yeah. I don't think. I, I mean, I didn't even know that Brad was a twin from Pasadena Playhouse. Yeah, I was showing her pictures of Brad and Chris. Yeah, like, I don't think I even knew he had a twin. (laughs) Well, it doesn't usually come up, but... Yeah. Exactly. People are like, why didn't you tell me? Well, why didn't you tell me you don't have a twin? That's weird. (laughs) Actually, uh, uh, Morgan. Morgan's a twin, too. Is she? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, so when I first... I normally see people in their work environment, not their home environment. So I don't know, True. you know, I don't know their siblings. Well, that's so. what's like interesting about Stacey and I is that we're twins, but we also do theater. Yeah. Which is why we were trying to get Brad and Chris on the show. Cause we're like also twins that also both do theater. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Another and- thing that uh, we don't, you just said, uh, you know, it doesn't usually come up in conversation that you're a twin. doesn't come up in conversation that you're vegetarian, but Cricket and I are both vegetarians and then come to find out yesterday because I ordered a sandwich that was not vegetarian. Like the entire production team's vegetarian. Yeah. I couldn't give that freaking sandwich away because not everyone was vegetarian and wouldn't eat the bacon on it. So Grayson, our sound engineer, is vegetarian. And uh, uh, Ginevra, Ginevra, who's the assistant lighting designer, is vegetarian. So we've all bonded over this. So have you all found places to eat out in Omaha that are vegetarian? Yeah. Or obviously not yeah. since you ordered a sandwich with bacon on it. No, I ordered the veggie sandwich. <laughs> they just put they just put ba- it was a I literally like I was out with the ATD and we both got veggie sandwiches cuz he's vegetarian and then we literally took them and left and went back to our prospective theaters and an hour later I was like I'm starving I'm going to eat my sandwich and opened it up and it was literally like mayonnaise, lettuce, turkey and bacon. And, and you know like, that there's someone out there who opened up their sandwich and was like what the hell What the hell is all this? <laughs> So yeah, where's the bacon? Like, sent it to the ATD, and I was like, "This is not vegetarian." And he felt bad. I was like, "It's not your fault. You didn't do it." But I was like, 
There goes my lunch. Yeah. And then I had to throw it away because nobody would eat it because we're all vegetarians. So Yeah, she yeah. could have like wiped off the mayonnaise off the bun. Well, I did like I did eat half of it, the lettuce and bread part, but not the bottom <laughs> half because that's where all the meat was. And I didn't want to touch it. Yeah. <laughs> I ate half of the the bread and mayonnaise and lettuce. That was my lunch. <laughs> yep. Okay, well at least you ate something. Good job, Twin. Yeah, Which is sometimes a challenge on this show. On this show, it's it was a challenge. Something. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, I was there. <laughs> you open tomorrow. <laughs> Yay. Of course, by the time this podcast comes out, you guys will be open and... Cricket will have done like three new shows by then. Yeah, exactly. Been nominated for two of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, those don't come out until like next year. Um yeah, no, it's funny. The friend I was chatting with this morning was like, God, you've had a like busy start to the year. He's like, do you get a break when you go home? I was like, no, my plan lanes at 9 and I have a designer run at 3 p.m. So, no, <laughs> no rest. None yeah. at all. I remember during right. Allegiance, it was hard to schedule you and me together at the same time because you were in and out of different shows. I was in and out of different shows. And I was like, yeah, she knows what she's doing. She's fine. <laughs> yeah, that was that was another crazy project. I've had a lot of exciting big projects this year and by exciting i mean <laughs> they happen yeah no there's been so, I, I, allegiance was great it was there was a lot of chaos but it was a great show and the same with this one a lot of chaos i think it's gonna be a good show yeah um after last night definitely think it's gonna be a good yeah, show yeah i had some great i got to do a booth at ces this year i mean come on <laughs> like that you is just awesome. never know that is yeah. awesome i get to do a, a birthday party a big birthday party for a family in Los Angeles uh, in May. You just never know. You never know where I'll be. So. Interesting. Wow. Our birthday parties are not that big and exciting. <laughs> yeah. This one is. We've got three different bands coming in. So that's why I'm there. They also have like 350 people showing up. That's like four times the size of my whole wedding. Yeah. 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 I don't even know if I know that many people, let alone want to hang out with that many people ever. Yep. In a year. But it's there. It's uh, the woman's 50th birthday party. So she wanted to make a big deal out of it. Okay. But I have a big deal. <laughs> and it will happen. Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Cricket, for uh... finding Cindy's hotel room and breaking a computer since Cindy forgot hers. Great. Uh, it's always with me anyway. <laughs> yeah, you would think Cindy would keep hers around. Yeah. But good. Well, thank you. Um, break a leg tomorrow on uh, the show. We'll look for pictures online and tag pictures. I've already taken a picture of um, us doing an interview and posted it. So Office. Yeah, and Office, office. in the background. That's what we're going to label this, Office, with Cricket. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, you guys can go back to um, getting ready for your after party for which show? Proving out. Proving up. Proving up. Yeah. Proving up, which opens uh, tonight, right? Tonight. <laughs> Yay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstocktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstocktheater. Tato Music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.